You're listening to Backstage at Lyric, the podcast that takes you behind the scenes at Lyric Opera of Chicago. Backstage at Lyric features in-depth interviews with singers, conductors, and creative talents at one of the world's great opera companies. For additional podcast interviews, subscribe to our RSS feed or visit us online at lyricopera.org. Chorus Master Donald Nally is backstage at Lyric. In Damnation, I mean, we have this amazing number of characters. And um, I'm always amazed when I'm opening each of the choruses in the score that Berlioz seems to sit down with the text and he seems to ask himself, what is the world that I want to create here? And in that way, he's amazingly modern. Thank you for downloading this episode of Backstage at Lyric. I'm Roger Pines of Lyric Opera of Chicago. Donald Nally is one of today's most remarkable choral conductors. He's currently in his third season as Lyric Opera's much-acclaimed chorus master. This season includes one of his greatest challenges to date, Berlioz's Damnation of Faust. I recently spoke with Maestro Nally about this piece. We also referred to other operas he's worked on during the season and what he's especially looking forward to during the 2010-11 season. Before we play that conversation, here's a synopsis of The Damnation of Faust. The disillusioned philosopher Faust is about to commit suicide when the strains of an Easter hymn revive his will to live. Suddenly the devil, Mephistopheles, appears, and Faust agrees to go off on a journey with him. He conjures up a vision of Marguerite to enchant Faust. The two travel to her town and eventually hide in her house. Marguerite, who has been dreaming of Faust, is astonished when he reveals his identity. Mephistopheles informs Faust that they must leave because Marguerite's mother and the townspeople will shortly appear. Eventually, the despairing Marguerite, whom Faust has abandoned, accidentally kills her mother with too much sleeping draft and is sentenced to death. Mephistopheles promises to save her, but only after Faust signs a document relinquishing his soul. He thinks they're about to save Marguerite, but he then grows terrified when he sees grotesque visions. He and Mephistopheles travel through landscape that grows increasingly horrible. Mephistopheles cries out to his infernal cohorts, and he and Faust fall into the pit of hell. Marguerite is saved from damnation and brought to heaven by angels. And now, on to the interview with chorus master Donald Nally. I hope you enjoy it. I'm here with Donald Nally, Chorus Master of Lyric Opera, and uh, I want to talk to you about Berlioz's Damnation of Faust, which you're working on at the moment, but let's just look first at what has been leading up to that piece. I mean, the chorus has been involved in every production this season, in some operas extensively, in others not so extensively. Has it been what you would consider a typical year for the chorus, or is there such a thing? Well, uh, there isn't such a thing, no, because it, it varies so much. And in the year before, of course, we had Porgy and Lulu, which the majority of our group didn't sing in, you know. So so here we are when, in all eight operas. And when you ask me if, you know, leading up to Damnation, I don't think it's any of it's led up to Damnation, you know, because Damnation is such an entirely different piece. And 
I think the audience probably doesn't realize because it's so integrated that how much we sing in Elixir. We, we, I mean, Elixir, you, know, you kind of think of it as a nice little fun little piece. And, but for the chorus, they sing a lot and they have a lot of words and it's a lot of memory. So, um, but it's so different. I mean, there's, the writing is, is in the Donizetti is very typical opera chorus in which they play villagers and they get to laugh and they sing about how lovely it is to be out in the sunshine, etc. But in Damnation, I mean, we have this amazing number of characters. I'm always amazed when I'm opening each of the choruses in the score that um, Berlioz seems to sit down with the text or write the text, as the case may be, you know, whatever, whichever the situation is, and ask himself questions in a way that a lot of other composers don't do. Not that they're not geniuses and that things don't spring out of their heads in amazing ways, but he seems to ask himself, what is the world that I want to create here? And in that way, he's amazingly modern because he does stop the action and let it hover, you know, or he'll move the action forward in this, you know, the, the, the difference between, for example, the Auerbach scene where the guys are just on, 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 singing, having a good time. It's the tavern scene. In the tavern scene. Right from the start, they come running on and they just, you know, there's like you know, to drinking wine and um, sing this big chorus about it and then they interact with Pranther and then they interact with um, Mephisto and it, it just, it, and they just keep going and going and going and it has this huge fugue in the middle of it where they're, you know, just making fun of the way in which people write fugues and and then... The next thing we know, we're in Faust's dream, in which the whole entire... You you question what you know about music, because you kind of grapple with, how can this thing that we call music be one... go in one direction, be so incredibly masculine, you know, and strong, and then turn around, you know, minutes later, and be so... Morbido, you know, like so, just so transparent and and without real motion. The chorus has several different roles. So, what are these different groups that they're playing in the course of the piece? Well, you know, we start out as villagers um, with kind of Faust upset and asking questions, and he hears people singing and having a good time, and want you know is is all the more frustrated by this um, and contemplating death and. Um, and so in this, in this situation, uh, in Berlioz, he makes this little kind of, um, well, he, they talk about the villagers running across, chasing, you get the impression that they're sort of chasing each other in these little sex games that we play. And uh, in, uh, you know, running across the, from the riverbank up on the, onto the hill and, you know, in the lovely grass. And, and the last verse is the tenors, you know, f- kind of peering out from a tree and saying, it um, starts out with Berlioz making fun of the women, um, saying, like, don't touch me like that. And the women say, and the guys say back to them, uh, quiet, your boyfriend's away and this is our chance. We, could, we should profit from this. We should profit from the opportunity. Um, and, uh, but it's all the tenor. The tenors sing the whole thing. So it's so wonderful because they start out with them making fun. So they have this haughty, you know, uh, tone that they use, and then they turn around and they do this other thing. So it's so amazing that just in that little moment, in the villagers' moment, they they get to do this many things. And they play students too later. Don't well, they? then they well then you know then we we progress and we we play these uh, students that in the in the um, wine cellar, you know, and and they're all getting. This, 
drunk as can be and having a great time. And and this is when they're, they 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 meet um, Mephistopheles and kind of are at first very confused. Is he making fun of them or whatever? Because he says, you know, oh, that's a nice song, but I got better. Um, and and offers to sing one for them, but they dismiss that and go along with the whole thing and and love his song. Actually, they they do a wonderful coda to that. And then um, we turn into these um, sylphs and gnomes, you know, and we sing this amazing chorus that uh, puts Faust to sleep so that he can have this dream about Marguerite. And, and in that dream, we have this other music that's not, it's not the music from the villagers in the beginning, but it implies it. You get the same idea of this kind of open-aired you know, just living life freely and having having a wonderful time. But by then, he's that's in his dream. He's going into that, and they sing that as he's asleep. And then they end with some of the most beautiful music I know of. It. I wanted Any to ask music. you what you thought the most beautiful portion of the chorus sings in the piece actually is. The end of Faust's dream. The end of the dream. The end okay. of Faust's dream, where he does this simple little suspensions of, you know, all composers have done it since the Renaissance, basically, but, you know, mostly it's a Baroque effect, and he does a simple little round of suspensions in the chorus, in an eight-part chorus, and it's, it, you know, it's a weird thing about music. You can't really explain what it is that's touching us and I've read everything you can read about sort of the biological reasons for why uh, memory is touched by music and why emotions are touched by music and you know as far as I'm concerned nobody has any idea Um, this is one of those moments where you Later on, they play... I know the men play soldiers. Well, then we go into soldiers and students, oh, and yeah, the two of them are sort of barking at each other. Oh, uh, uh, okay. The soldiers come on, and they sing this rousing kind of thing, and the students are are kind of, you know, have, have this, yeah, well, you know, we can one-up you. And then they sing their whole thing in Latin, you know. And and it's all about carousing, you know. For the soldiers, it's the typical... Uh, it doesn't matter whether... Battles are all the same, whether it's women or, or, or other armies, you know. And for the soldiers, uh, and for the students, they, they uh, talk about, you know, running around the town and basically trying to get girls to go along with them. And then as the climax to this, the two sing together. And the two parts, they, they each have different music and they fit together perfectly as they answer each other. It's an amazing, amazing moment where you hear these two things, one phrase from the soldiers and then the next phrase from the students. And, and they're all singing at the same time. And, and finally, they come together in this enormous D-flat major chord, which is just <laughs> shocking. And yesterday when we did it in the Zitzpro, Paul and, and John were, were sitting right in front of us. <laughs> kind of, like, kind of leaned down and turned around because there was so much sound coming over their heads. They were sitting, you know, downstage of us, and the men were just letting it rip. It's so exciting. You also enact, in the second part, because the work is written in four parts, and we're doing it with one intermission, and in the last part, you have a scene that Berlioz described by using the word pandemonium. Yeah. So what is pandemonium in this piece really representing? Well, after we've gotten the opportunity to be angry neighbors and the will-o'-the-wisps, we come on and sort of back up Mephistopheles in the little aria. We uh, go into this ride to hell, basically, in which the women sing these kind of chants. And that's answered by the demons uh, pandemonium is basically the demons and, 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 and you know it's very aptly titled because at the downbeat to pandemonium the orchestra kind of unleashes this amazing cataclysmic kind of sound and then the chorus two beats later is just 
chimes in, and almost everybody involved in the show is, in terms of musically, except for the women of the chorus and the principals, are, are, are just giving it their all, you know. It's all, all sounds you can imagine. And that kind of dies down to the moment where the question is asked, did Faust willingly sign this pact? And is he, are, you the, are you his master forever? They're also, during the pandemonium scene, they're singing nonsense. And then they do this devil then they do this devil dance. Can you yes. give an example of what the nonsense well, he says like diff, diff Belfigor. What they're doing is they're um, they're called they're doing. I think what Berlioz is constructing is um, some a nonsense syllable that's a kind of like a ha ha, and then all the names of these various uh, devils. So Astarot, Croas, Belzebub, um, Belfigor, and um, what happens is they start out. It's an, it suddenly goes into three four. And uh, you f- and you feel like I mean the audience ought to feel like they should get up and do a kind of skeleton dance because it feels it's in three four but it feels kind of like what's wrong with this picture you know and they're dancing around um, singing this diff diff belfagor and asta wrote stuff and it dies down dies down dies down to this nothing it gets like it, you can feel them kind of crouch down and and then suddenly they explode again back into the beginning of the pandemonium music and it's incredibly exciting but it doesn't you know. I made a joke in my program note it, for you in that, you know, it is nonsense a little bit. It, it sounds peculiarly like German. <laughs> <laughs> now, um, they follow the pandemonium by being heavenly spirits. Yeah. Total contrast. I mean, that's one of the that's one of the great challenges about doing this piece is that on the concert stage, which it was written for, the same people do all those things. And the audience, of course, just totally accepts that because the scene has changed. We accept that about any kind of symphonic oratorio or fantasy or whatever so uh but on stage when you're looking at the people it you, it's you have to make a transition of some sort the devils can't just turn into the angels you know the the he says uh, the seraphims and and uh, and holy people before a cross you know um in the score and so it's a great challenge to to make that transition and it's not just a challenge dramatically but it's also you you go from this crazy um, singing, very exciting singing, to this absolutely beautiful melody, harmonized, um, where it, the, the strings just just keep going, blum 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 blum, blum. and you re- you really kind of feel yourself slowing down and relaxing. In that, this is this is probably you sort of say to yourself subconsciously. This is probably going to come to an end now, and at the end, I'm going to be breathing very differently than I was at the during the Devil's Chorus, you know. And you find yourself that you do. You start to just get in this rhythm. Of all this music that they sing, the most purely challenging portion musically, I mean, if you're uh, in terms of rhythm and range and you know degree of power and all of that, which do you think is the most challenging for them? Just technically, I, you know, both times that I've done this piece, it has surprised me that although there are many, many technical challenges about the Faust dream, because what he does is he writes it in eight parts, and at any given time, four uh, of those parts are doing these little tiny sextuplets with these little tiny words, um, and they're incredibly quiet, and, and so to get, to get the French into this one, you know, six little tiny syllables of into this one very, very quiet beat, and then off, and then... Can you give us an example of what that um, might sound like? Yeah. D'ici ravisson, la compagnie se couvre. But it's, I mean, it's, even that's kind of uh, too slow, you know. It's, it's, it's really, it's, 
incurred they got declared de protection and it and it's no louder than that you know and and so that you get and then you hear this melody over it you know bientôt and it's all this very gossamer you know and and very very transparent so at any rate um I always think that that's going to be the greatest challenge is to get that texture. But really, I think that the greatest challenge is the Soldiers and Students Chorus because it is high. It's not long to listen to, but it's long to sing because you just keep going and going and going. It would be like asking somebody to sing the highest phrase in, in Zalame over and over and over again for three minutes, you know. And yeah, it's fast and it's technical and you've got to line up. You don't have the luxury of singing it by yourself. You've got to line it up with probably 12 to 16 other men on your part. And it's exhausting. I mean, it really, they get to the end of it and they have this high B-flat at the end of it. And, <laughs> and they're having a good time, I think, because it feels good to sing you know, high B-flat. But uh, you, they come off it. You can tell they're like, Ugh! it's just huge singing. Now, we haven't mentioned how many singers you're actually working with in this Damnation of Faust chorus. Right, we have 80 altogether, which is... Really lovely. Which and it's an aug- augmented group because you're using our supplementary chorus. Right. We as well. start with our regular chorus, which is 48, um, and then we add to that. We've got 48 men all together, so we have uh, the size of our regular chorus just in men for this. You started working on this piece when? In August. We we learn most of the music for the season in August. So, um, you know, theoretically, we try to get it to the point where it's mostly memorized. This piece does not work that way very well. So um, we came back and had another, I think, 15 hours of rehearsal since January on just the music before we start the stage. Dare I ask what you're most looking forward to next season? Out of the eight operas, I think the chorus is involved in everything. Well, <clears throat> there are only children in Midsummer. That's true. So I will be involved with the wonderful children of um, Anima. But... Um, the course will not. But they are in everything else, and it's a big, big season for us. Fanchula has many, many men in it. There's extra chorus. Uh, there's supplementary chorus in Carmen. There's supplementary chorus in Balo. Um, there is uh, supplementary chorus in uh, Macbeth, of course. Yes. We're, you know, we also, which is a big one. And then Lohengrin is off the charts. So Lohengrin is an enormous chorus. A lot of the men's writing is in eight parts. You just have to have a lot of guys there. Um, the orchestra is big. But I have to say that probably the thing that I am most curious about um, is is Hercules. And and partly that's because I love working with Peter Sellers. I wish that everybody who co- goes to see a Peter Sellers opera could also go to every rehearsal with him because they would uh, go to see the final product with such incredible anticipation and they would undoubtedly get up on their chairs at the end of it and just scream at the top of their lungs with joy um, because his the depth of which his knowledge and understanding of the not just a work but the whole and but like where it belongs in history and where it came from I mean right now he's really you know basically concentrating on Sophocles in order to get to Handel's Hercules, and we've talked a lot about that and what he may or may not use from some of the um, more fluffy, what I would call, choruses. You know, the convention in Handel's time was that you had to make a pretty happy ending and everything had to turn out 
all good with God. Um, and so lots of times you could tell that he, sometimes in Handel's third act, I get, I get the impression that he kind of went, oh, I can write this in two minutes and I'll be done with this because it's a happy, happy course. Um, so, you know, Peter and I have talked a lot about, about that in the context of that. So, um, so there's Peter and there's Harry Bickett, who, of course, is, I mean, I don't know how many of the, your listeners may have heard the English concert when they were here last year um, with David Daniels. But what an unbelievable ear for Baroque music. Oh, my God. <laughs> he has such a sense of style. Um, and then, of course, there is that um, this amazing score, this, you know, bringing this beautiful, beautiful oratorio score into the opera house, which, um, you know, I've done, I've done with Semele and I've done with Jephthah. Of course, we did um, Julius Caesar here, but that's an opera, so it's different. But to bring in the oratorio onto the opera stage is a, is a challenge and a beautiful one because, of course, <laughs> it features the chorus and oratorio is definitely going to have a lot of chorus interjection. The English people of his time, the British people of his time, identified very, very much with what the chorus was doing. So, Well, I want to wish you best of luck with all the performances of Damnation of Faust and with The Marriage of Figaro, which you're working on as well, which will conclude the 2009-2010 season. Thank you so much. Thank you, Will. You've been listening to Backstage at Lyric, the podcast that takes you behind the curtain at Lyric Opera of Chicago. For additional interactive content and to order tickets, visit us online at lyricopera.org. Mm-hmm.